I'm uh, excited about camp because of Wes. Is last year uh, we didn't have too many adults with us, and I I wore myself out. And this year I was determined I'm not going to do that. I'm going to figure out how to get more people to go with me and help me, and that's been a possibility. But uh, Wes wasn't able to go with us this year, but <clears throat> I would always, uh, every day I would sit down and write out uh, a devotional for the kids, and they would get that in the morning as a, what we called sealed discoveries, and they would have they have their quiet time, and so every day I would write it out, print it there at camp, cut it, and put it in the envelope. Well, <clears throat> this year Wes wrote all six days already, and it's already like printed and cut and ready to go, and uh, I've scanned it, but I haven't like, I haven't bathed in it yet, and so I get to do that this week, and I'm, I'm thankful for your ministry of just your word and, and even teaching the kids about the awe of God, which is a, a pretty cool thing. So we've got a busy day, uh, not only here, but in the scripture, so we're going to get started. You ready? We're in Matthew chapter 9. Let me, again, go through what we've done. Most of you here uh, uh, know what's going on, but we're walking through the Gospels. Jesus is hanging out with his 12 guys. There's opposition from the Pharisees. They think that Jesus is actually doing all these miracles from the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebul, whichever translation you're looking at. You know what that actually, if you look at the translation of that, I I looked at that and A.T. Robertson said that Beelzebul actually means Lord of Dung. (laughs) Lord of, figure it out. That's crazy. So the Pharisees think that Jesus is doing that all under the power of the devil. And then there's those that obviously believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so now, uh, because they've said that you're doing this from the power of Beelzebul, the whole ministry has changed. Jesus' public ministry has changed. He quit healing people in public settings. He didn't quit healing. He just quit doing it in public settings. He quit teaching the word straight up, and he started teaching it through parables. So that these Pharisees that blaspheme the Spirit and are now cut off from hearing it, don't understand the parables. And then he takes his disciples aside and he's teaching them, he's discipling them, and he's breaking down the parables and the stories for them so that they can understand it. And so today he continues on this path of teaching these 12 teenage boys, some of them are older, 25, but some of them may be as young as 16. And they're clueless. All they care about is their stomach their stomach, and doing some pretty cool things. But watch this. This is pretty amazing. I'll do a lot of reading to you today just from the Scripture. It's simple, guys. Just pick up your Bibles and read. Matthew nine thirty-five. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. Synagogue being a Jewish church. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. I, you know, I don't know how that's possible because you're talking about thousands of people that are like coming to Jesus and he's, it says every, every, like everybody got healed. It wasn't a matter of Jesus touching them. It was all based upon what? 
faith, them believing. So why couldn't they? Nobody missed out. Everybody that went and just believed got healed. It says, healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. <laughs> when I see all the ministry needs, I go, oh, oh man, here we go. Jesus is like, ah, oh, there's compassion. He's like, because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is, that's an important statement right there, what he just said, because uh, everybody knows what a shepherd does. A shepherd protects the flock. A shepherd feeds the flock. A shepherd uh, has a voice, and the, and the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and they obey that. The shepherd even, like, heals the flock when they're sick. Takes care of them. Nurses them back to health. And he's sitting here saying, these are sheep without a shepherd. In other words... They're having to make a choice. The multitudes are having to make a choice. Is it going to be the Pharisees that are their shepherd? Or is it going to be Jesus that's their shepherd? They're trying to figure this thing out as well. They're confused and he's sitting there saying, they don't have a shepherd. They're trying to make the decision. And then he said to his disciples, his 12, he says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. I just said last year I didn't take enough adults to camp with me. This year I'm thankful for uh, the 15 that adults that are going with me. Uh, stand up real quick if you're one of the adults going with us to camp. Stand up real quick. I want you to see and pray for uh, this group of people that are, are going to camp all up here. Keith sat down early and yeah, Matt's going to camp. Are you wearing those shorts to camp? All week, that's his one pair of shorts. <clears throat> so now Jesus feels like it's, not feels, but he knows that this is his opportunity to teach his disciples how to be shepherds. Because he knows he's leaving. Jesus is actually a shepherd. He's discipling. He's got this flock, but now he's going to turn it over these 12. He's got to teach them how to be shepherds says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this harvest. I believe Jesus is praying wholeheartedly over these 12. But he's telling them, you need to be praying for workers. You need to be seeking people that will go and hang out with you and do these things with you. And then in, verse, in chapter 10, it says, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out to heal every disease and sickness. You know, that whole purpose right there for the disciples to go out and to heal everybody was for the purpose of validating Jesus' ministry. If you go out and do this in my name, this just proves that I am the Messiah. So I'm going to give you, you 12 guys <laughs> that don't even really know who I am. And you're kind of like goobers. You don't get this thing. But I'm going to give you all the authority that you need to heal people and to do miracles. <laughs> that, that's like a teenage kid with a magic wand. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, we get to do this? We get to... And he's like, yeah, I trust you. I trust you. 
And I totally believe that as he does this, it's even like Michelle said, as these workers do these things, they get confidence in their ability to teach. They get confidence in their ability to encourage others. It says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. This is a roll call here. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions. And these were the instructions Jesus gave them. Don't take the road leading to other nations and don't enter any Samaritan town. Remember, Jesus came for the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. And so now he's saying to his disciples, don't go to any Samaritan territory. You see, what a Samaritan is, is back in 722 B.C., Sargon Sargon of Assyria came into the northern kingdom of Israel and took control of the northern kingdom, and they began breeding with the Jews. So now the Samaritans are like half-breeds. They're not real Jews. And so the real Jews look at the Samaritans and go, we don't want anything to do with you because you've got Assyrian blood in you. You've got Gentile blood in you. And Jesus is saying, don't go to that territory because we're here for the Jews first. Now listen, that doesn't mean that the Gentiles can't hear it. Because the Gentiles obviously are following them. Jesus is obviously healing them. And they are the ones that are eventually going to receive this whole message. Verse 6, it says, Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse, them, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. You have received free of charge, give free of charge. Don't take along gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. He's like, look, I'm giving you guys everything that you possibly need. You don't have to like fill a trailer with all your stuff and take it with you. You just need to like go as you are right now and all your provisions will be taken care of. Just trust me. Watch this thing. This is an adventure. People will get healed and they will take care of you. They will provide every meal that you need. Don't worry about eating. He says, don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a walking stick, for the worker is worthy of his food. Like, they're going to feed you. They're going to take care of you. Trust me. If you give them the truth, the gospel, they'll take care of you. Y'all take care of me. Take care of my family. Lord does. Just trust. Just give them the word. Just teach. Just shepherd. He says... When you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Watch this. Breathe. Just breathe a little bit right here. He says, greet a household when you enter it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it's unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. 
I assure you it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He's saying to his disciples, I want you to open your eyes. I want you to open your eyes and see who wants me. Who wants Jesus? You teach the message. Watch and see who responds. If they don't respond, brush it off. Walk on. There's no pressure here. Just freedom. Look, just breathe. Just walk. Just be the goodness of who you are. That's all he's saying. That whole evangelism thing that I was taught growing up, you know, about going and knocking on doors and getting people and putting them in headlocks and saying, you need to say this prayer. We mark the numbers down. That's not what I read right here. Just go and say, hey, I got some good news for you. If you want to hear it, I'd love to tell you about it. If they don't want to hear it, well, it's not good news for them. It says Sodom and Gomorrah is better than them. <laughs> That's rough. No worries. No worries. He's telling his 12. Just relax. Watch what he says. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He says relax, but watch this. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves, because people will hand you over to, San, to the Sanhedrin. This is the judging uh, uh, people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I'm handing you over to the Sanhedrins and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. Like now, he's like, just go in and preach the good news. Don't worry about who receives it. But guess what? You need to be pretty smart and discerning about where you go because there's people that want to have your heads. I believe that discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe that these disciples, these 12 men, were given the gift of discernment to know when to get involved. Like, you have to think about that today. especially like on Facebook. (laughs) You have to know when to get involved and when not to get involved. You have to know when to step into a mess to deliver truth, and then you deal with the consequences. That's all discernment from the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Uh, I appreciate that right there, that whole discernment. Because honestly, uh, it takes a lot of pressure off of me by having to do other people's agendas. To have to do what the Holy Spirit is leading other people to do. Like, if he leads you all to do some kind of ministry, and you come and say, I need to do this, well, that's not my calling. My calling is right here doing this. I have to have the discernment to be able to say, Hey, it sounds like the Holy Spirit's working in you. It sounds like you need to run with it. You need to do that thing. It's not on me. I might get involved with it if the Spirit leads me to do that, but there's freedom in that. Then in verse 18, he says, You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the nations. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because you are not speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Now, look, 
Let's be honest here. I didn't come up here and just like open my Bible and just rambling with you guys. I've studied the Word. I've studied the Word this week. I've studied the Word most of my life. And I literally come up here with my notes and I'm prepared to teach, to speak. But there's opportunities that I'm put in front of people where I'm not prepared. Like, you get the call, hey, I need to meet with you for lunch, great. They never tell you what it's about. You sit down at the booth with them and all of a sudden they unload on you. I don't have notes in front of me. I do have my my Bible in front of me on my phone and I'm able to call up Scripture because the Spirit speaks to me. He, he, He gives me scripture to like lay in front of them he gives me truth he tells me what to say and i trust him he's he's going to put you in front of important people i had the opportunity that i prayed for for years and you guys know that to go back to my alma mater uh and speak in chapel and not only in february did they give me the one wednesday chapel but they gave me the whole week and they put me in classrooms and they put me with professors and they put me with administration and everything and i got to like hang out the whole week and you know what I probably had three messages prepared and the rest of them were all Lord I trust you with this I was prepared going in but I didn't know exactly what I was going to speak about and that's just a cool thing when the spirit works through you brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will even rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. When they persecute you in one town, escape to another, for I assure you, you will not have covered the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? He's like saying, look, I'm just telling you right now, if they're going to accuse me of healing by the power of Beelzebul, you just be prepared because they're going to do the same thing to you. You're not going to be above the teacher. They're not going to like dismiss calling you any names. They're not going to dismiss saying that you're lying, that you're speaking truth from the, the devil. It's all going to be the same. Just be prepared for this. They're going to be ruthless with you. Now, it says that he's pitting brothers and families against each other. They might, that may not be the case for you, but I have a lot of friends that have lost their family over their faith in Christ because they were one faith, yet they came to know Jesus as we know Jesus, and their families turned on them. And that's what he's talking about. This will split families. The truth will split families. It says, therefore, don't be afraid of them since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. I'm teaching you privately right now in this place and you're just going to go out and you're going to spread the good news. It's going to be through you. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. He's talking about the Pharisees. They can kill him physically, but you can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in heaven. Fear your God. Don't worry about these Judaizers that are going to come along and they're going to like 
betray you and take down every word that you say and say that you're lying. I need you. He's, he's got these guys huddled up and he's like saying, guys, stay focused. Stay, how many times you hear me say that? Stay focused. Stay focused. We've got a mission. We've got an adventure. We're on the Lord's team. We're doing this together. Stay focused. Stay focused. Because there's all sorts of distractions that are come, and he just listed all these distractions. And then watch this. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. And here's that line he says. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. For some of you, that's easier than others. But think about it. That the Lord knows every hair on your head. He loves you that much. That's crazy that he knows how many hairs I have. So don't be afraid, therefore. You're worth more than many sparrows. My mom, my mom, you, you met her last week. Um, she's suffering with dementia. And we filled our bird feeders up, and she just sat there by the window. Look at the birds, look at the birds, look at the birds. It was all week long. Look at the birds, look at the birds. And I just kept thinking of this passage of scripture that I'm studying this week going, I'm more important than those birds. But those birds are taken care of. Look at the birds. He said, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother. He's quoting Old Testament here. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will, will be the members of his household. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, nah, come on. I love my mom. I love my father. Dearly. But I love Jesus, and when, when you know Jesus, when you know Jesus, it's not hard to love Jesus more than your parents. Because honestly, we're all just temporary right here, and Jesus is eternal. I, I love hanging out with you, but this is just temporary. This is temporary. I'm thankful for the adventure. He's like, if they truly love me, they're going to love me more than they love their family. He says, and whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Oh, man. Here we go. Uh, whoever does not take up his cross. This is that passage of Scripture that um, you hear so many messages on that says, I, every day I got to carry my cross. <laughs> I got to get up. And go to camp and carry my cross. It's going to be a burden today. Let me tell you something. There's only one cross. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. I was crucified at the same point that Jesus was crucified. 
I was crucified with him. The only cross that I have to carry every day is that of my Lord Jesus Christ. That I rest in that. I rest in that. The, the deal is done. On that cross, his blood was poured out and forgave me of all my sins. He made me holy. He made me perfect. He sanctified me. He justified me. He even glorified me. And it says that. I'm not making this up. It's all past tense in the scripture. It's already occurred. So me having to like carry that cross, it's not the same cross that I was taught growing up. It's the cross that Jesus died on. And that's the cross that I get up every day and I'll carry. That I have been crucified with Christ. It says, Any, anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one as little as <coughs> to one of the, these little ones because he is a disciple, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. Now look. That is one discourse that Jesus just had with his disciples. He's got another big discourse that happens near the end of his life in John 14, 15, 16, 17. Like he's literally pouring into these disciples. And all he's saying, I've given you power. Look, there's going to be those that choose me and those that don't choose me. It's going to be tough, fellas. It's going to be tough. And I'm sure that they're sitting there just like my students at camp this week, going, wonder what we're doing for recreation today. Wonder what we're having for dinner tonight. And Jesus is pouring everything that he can into these guys. Some of them are getting it. Some of it's flying over their heads. Jesus keeps teaching them and teaching them. It says this, when Jesus had finished giving orders... To his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Jump to Mark chapter 6, verse 12. So like he's spent time with his disciples saying, Look, I'm teaching you to be shepherds, teaching you to be shepherds. Now it's time to move on. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they were driving out many demons, anointing many sick people with olive oil and healing them. Jesus sent them just... Turn them loose to go do ministry. Fellas, I just gave you a speech of a lifetime. Go out and do these things. And they did it. And these boys went out and started healing people in Jesus' name. Like they're putting oil on them. They're anointing them. And they're watching this thing happen. Not through their own strength, but through the power of Jesus Christ in them. Verse 14, it says, changes right here. Jesus hanging out with his disciples, teaching them, shepherding them. Watch what happens. Verse 14, King Herod heard of this because Jesus' name became well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that's why supernatural powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets. When Herod heard of it, he said, John... The one I beheaded has been raised. What? 
Herod said, John, the one I beheaded has been raised. Now, what you need to know about Herod and John the Baptist is this. It's Herod like John the Baptist. He really did. He treasured him. You see, John the Baptist's ministry was like 12 to 14 months right before Jesus came. He preceded Jesus, said, hey, prepare the way. Savior's coming. Messiah's coming. 12 to 14 months. Then, based upon what John said, he got arrested. He spent two years in jail. Herod had John the Baptist for two years. He liked the dude. But here's the story. Mark tells the story. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. <laughs> did you, wait, did you get that? Let me read that again. It says, On account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. He married his brother's wife. John the Baptist like called him out publicly for it. Herod didn't like that, so he arrested him. It says, John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. That's the wife. She's like wanting to kill Herod. Herod liked John the Baptist. Herodias wanted to kill him because like he's calling her out. Saying she's not right. But she could not because Herod was in, what's that word? In awe. Like John the Baptist. Whoa. That's how Herod saw John the Baptist. Whoa. Herod was in awe of John, was protecting him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very disturbed, yet hear him gladly. I know he's speaking against me, but I think he's speaking the truth. Now an opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. So he swore oaths to her. Whatever you ask me, I will give to you. Up to half my kingdom. I swear. Then she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? Herodias says, John the Baptist head. This is my opportunity. I'm going to use my daughter. This makes for a great movie. Let's take his head off. Immediately she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. Herod's like, what? And then he's like, what did I do? I'm in awe of this guy. Now I have to kill him. Though the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison. 
brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. That's nasty. Then the girl gave it to her mother. That's just disturbing. When his disciples heard about it, they came and removed the corpse and placed it in a tomb. This is John the Baptist's disciples, not Jesus' disciples, but his own. He took care of his body. You remember, John the Baptist was a well-liked man. You know who liked him the most? Jesus. John the Baptist and Jesus were buddies. Jesus sitting there with his disciples, discipling them, and he gets word that his best friend's been beheaded. He gets this word that I've just lost, I've just lost my best friend. Now what? It says, <clears throat> The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So not not only not only did he lose his friend, but now his disciples have gone out and done all these great things. They've done these great things. But now he is they're sitting there and like going, Hey Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. There was this one dude that and there was this like whole group of Jews and then there was this little who couldn't believe what occurred? Jesus or the disciples? I'm like, the, the disciples are trying to sit there and explain to Jesus what happened, but the whole time it's like Jesus knew and the disciples were just like in awe of what they had been doing through the power of Jesus. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. Now, <clears throat> that's a big statement. Jesus has been with his disciples. They're all out healing and teaching. And now he's saying, you've drained yourself. We need to go away. We need to get some rest. He says, for many people were coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. Jesus knows that there has to be a detachment from the activity. And there needs to be a time of connection with the Father. There has to be a physical rest as well as a, a spiritual rest, and I believe even an emotional rest. Come away. Just breathe. Stressed out. <laughs> I like my Fitbit. It's got a little thing on it that says, breathe. Whenever I just like, get stressed, I'll click on that thing and go, And I'll cycle through for like two minutes. That's really all Jesus is saying. It's like, just come away. Just breathe. It's really good for you. Just relax. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them. They're trying to like get away. They're trying to get away. And, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. And people ran there by land and all the towns arrived ahead of them. So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, still trying to make a decision. Who am I going to follow, Pharisees or Jesus? 
It's the shepherd's responsibility to feed the sheep. He says, when it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, Hey, this place is a wilderness and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. There's literally nothing here for them to eat. They never, ever, ever considered that Jesus could feed the crowd. And Jesus responded to him and says, You give them something to eat. I'm teaching you to be shepherds. I'm teaching you how to feed the flock. You give them something to eat. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? You realize how much this is going to cost if we feed this many people? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. You go out, find out how much bread you have. And when they found out, they said, We've got five and two fish. A.T. Robertson says they were like sardines. I always thought they were like big fish. Never thought about it even being a sardine. Got five loaves and two tiny fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down. The groups in the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. Watch what he did. He kept giving them to his disciples. Like he's like, you feed them. I'm teaching you to be shepherds. I'm teaching you to feed the flock. He says he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And then it says this, everyone ate and was filled. It says in some translations that they were satisfied didn't say that they overate, but they had enough. Jesus is literally teaching his disciples how to feed the flock. He hands them the food to give to the people physically. And he's saying to them, the gospel is satisfying if it is taught in the proper context. He's saying, then they picked up the 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish when it was all done. They had finished eating, and they picked it up. Why? Because they were being good stewards with what the Lord gave them. He says, now those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. 5,000, just the men. That's what they did in the Bible times. They just counted the men, sorry. But there were women and children there. There could have been like 15,000 people there. And Jesus fed them all with five loaves and two fish. And you know what? This is really one of those messianic miracles that's not mentioned. Because just as God took care of those in the wilderness and Moses by bringing them manna, Jesus did the same thing. No one else had ever done that. And then I quickly close with these other passages. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them. To the, This is still the same day. He made him get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Jesus again drained, goes away. Father, reconnect. John six fourteen. It says, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who has come into the world. 
Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Like they're calling him, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. Yet if I'm called the Messiah, they're going to put me to death. They're going to kill me quicker than I need to be. I got to get out of here. It's not my time yet. Mark six forty seven, last story. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them being battered as they rowed because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. You get this? They're on the Sea of Galilee. He sent the disciples out there on a boat. There's a storm that's coming up. And these guys got on the boat probably around six o'clock. Now it's 3 a.m. in the morning. That's nine hours these guys have been rowing. And in Matthew, it says they got about a mile out to sea. Nine hours and they're going into the wind and all they got was a mile. Now, what's this? When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. It says literally Jesus was passing. Jesus is like strolling through the storm on the sea. He's walking through the storm on the sea. And it says that he literally walked by them. And if they wouldn't have looked up, they wouldn't have seen him. And they looked up and they thought it was a ghost says, they were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, have courage. It's just me. It's I. Don't be afraid, guys. Jump to Matthew real quick. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come on the water. Well, come on, Peter. Come on, big boy. If you've got the faith, get out of the boat and walk out here with me. Peter, he's that, he's that all-in guy. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Can you imagine what that was like? Storms like going all around you. Peter's out of the boat. I'm walking on water. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he started looking around. Saw the strength of the wind. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Like reaching for him. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You were doing so good. Those first five steps. <laughs> then you looked around and you started thinking. Rather than just trusting. I got you. I got you. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him. They said, truly, you are the son of God. And Mark wraps it up, that story up with this. He says, Mark 6, 51, they were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. They were still lost about the whole feeding of the 5,000. <laughs> Mark's like, did you see what just happened? We're still thinking about the whole feeding the 5,000 thing. This is crazy. Instead, their, their hearts were hardened. They couldn't figure it out. They had just seen one more amazing thing about the awe of God, yet they couldn't comprehend it. Mark 6 says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gesenaret, remember this is the east side, and beached the boat. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout that vicinity and began to carry the sick on mats to whatever they heard he, wherever they heard he was. Wherever he would go into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the tassel of his robe. And everyone who touched it 
was made well. Look, that was Jesus' day. That's, a, that's one crazy day. And if there's any one thing that I take away from that right there is when you get drained, pull out. Pull out, go away to a quiet place. Go away, breathe, reconnect with the Father. Stay in touch. He's the power. He has the awe that will cause you to say, whoa, stay connected. Father, I pray that as we uh, just finish up your word that it rings true today, that you would um, just make it come alive in their hearts as they uh, even unpack it this week, even today as their family. What an amazing day. And that you modeled for us just how to live life here on earth. I thank you for that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.